Good morning. Happy New Year. My name is Mike Harmon. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables. If you saw them when you walked in or didn't, you may get one of those. On them are uh, verses that will be in today's message, as well as some questions for later on to uh, go through. If you don't own a Bible and you need one, um, there are some available that you can have in back on the sound booth. If you forgot one, there are also some available in the cheap seat bottoms in front of you. Those are a little bit more used, so we don't give those away. Anyway, give the, if you need one, we'll give you one of the new, newer, newer, nicer ones. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can open an app called Uversion and click on More and then Events, and you'll get today's notes under the uh, title Grace Works. Uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians 2, 16 through 20. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us right with you through Jesus, for making a way home for us, to free us from the burden of a debt we could never pay, from delivering us from the bondage to our sin. Help us to understand and trust more deeply in the work of grace. Amen. Have a seat. My wife, Deb, and I oversee Redemption Group Ministries here at Element with an amazing team of others. And so this morning I'm going to speak on the topic of grace, something that's just uh, passionate in my heart and is foundational to the Redemption Group Ministry. Sin destroys. It ruins relationships. It breaks things. It makes us enemies of God. It alienates us from him. And it always ends in death. How does it get fixed? Galatians 2.16 tells us we are justified by faith. Ephesians 2.8-9 says that we are saved by grace through faith. Both of these scriptures tell us this justification and the salvation is not through works of our own. So, it doesn't get fixed by what we do, by how hard we work. Justification. It makes me just as if I never sinned. It's kind of how I remember it. Justification, just as if I never sinned. Kind of helps you with the theology word there. So, justification, just as if I never sinned. That's how God sees us now. Tim Keller defines justification this way. Justification means that in Christ... Though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation. God accepts us despite our sin. We are not acceptable to God because we actually become righteous. We become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. Let me read that again. 
We are not acceptable to God because we actually become righteous. We become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. Jesus has made a way home for us. We stand righteous before God now, justified, fully restored to him, a new creation, all things made new. We are now no longer an enemy of God and under his wrath. We now have friendship with God. We are loved, accepted, and approved by him. He accepts and approves me. How can that be? I know me. What I do, and what do I do about the reality of my continued sinfulness in the face of God's amazing love and grace? I know sin ruins and destroys relationship. How can I preserve and maintain this relationship of love and acceptance I have with God? My behavior, it doesn't reflect one who's been delivered from sin, one now made righteous. What do I do when I blow it, when I sin and cause pain and harm? How do I stop? How do I change? Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 says that I get a new heart, one that no longer wants to sin, one that actually learns to obey and to trust God. Did I somehow miss out on that? It sometimes feels that way. My life surely betrays that kind of a heart. I must do something about this. I've got to fix this. I must work harder at it. I know none of you ever struggle this way or feel like that, right? I know it's just me. Sin does that, though. It isolates and makes us feel like there is something uniquely wrong with me. Sin makes you feel like there's something uniquely wrong with you, worse than everybody else. That's what it does. So what do I do? What do you do when faced with your sin, your repeated sin? Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, writes about why we are invited into a relationship with God. He says it is because God wants to share the joy he has, the joy of experiencing both the giving and the receiving of love as he perfectly experiences it in the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from all eternity has enjoyed a perfect friendship, adoring one another, giving glorifying love to one another, and delighting in one another. Keller further writes that we know of no higher joy than of being loved and of love in return. That's really what most of us want. We want to be loved, and we want someone to love. God experiences that kind of love and joy in perfection and forever, infinitely. He is filled with glorious love and joy. God does not need us and did not need to create us so that he might be fulfilled. But because he is otherly, because he's a good and a giving God, he created us to share in what he experiences in himself. Created in his image, we are created for love, the receiving and the giving of it experiencing great fulfillment and joy like God experiences in himself. We, too, get to now enjoy God and experience his love. The love, this love, this relationship, is available only by being reconciled to God through grace. Grace, the unmerited favor and provision of God, 
that's found only in Jesus. Only in this reconciliation to God do we find our dignity, we find our worth, and we find our purpose. My separation from God, my being an enemy of God, under his wrath, is only resolved through justification that comes by faith. So why? So why, when we continue to sin, do we feel alienated and separated from God? Like, God must be mad at me somehow. It's almost as if, like this relationship that gets restored to us by grace, it's like it's too good to be true. How can God continue to love and accept and forgive me, you? We begin believing we have, that we've really not changed. We begin believing that we really aren't new creations, that we aren't justified before him. I mean, after all, look at my behavior. Look at your own behavior. And so I begin to go back to the old way, promising God, I'll do better. And I focused on the law, on my behavior, and on my performance to gain his love, his acceptance, and his approval of me. I'll try harder. I'll be better. I promise. Never done that, have you? It's as if by my good behavior, I experience God's nearness, his love, and his approval. But when I sin and do poorly, I don't. God grows distant from me. I start viewing my life as separated by this mountain of sin. And with God on the other side of it. Waiting for me to resolve it so that I might be close to him again. When we turn to the gospel... That mountain of sin has been removed. No longer separating us. We have been justified. But what about the sin I keep on doing? That too has been removed and paid for. Now God and you stand side by side, not separated by your sin. He embracing you and assuring you that he will eradicate sin in your life. That's his commitment to you. In the first service afterwards, a guy named Jim Evans, uh, he and his wife, 10 here for a long time, came up to me and he says, you know, it's like that distance. I realize it's not God moving away. It's me pulling back when I feel guilty or ashamed. I pull away. In actuality, that's the time I need to press in tighter. And that's true. We sin. We, we pull back. God doesn't pull back. We do. And that's when we need to come closer But God, in his mercy and his grace, through the gospel, is growing you up to what is already true about you. What's true about you? You're now righteous. You're now justified. You're adopted. You're loved and a friend of God. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is committed to working righteousness and holiness in us. When you are discouraged, when you're in a spiritual slump, when God feels distant, when life gets difficult, how do you react? How do you view and understand those circumstances? Do you start thinking, I must deserve this for this sin or that? That God must be mad at me? 
That's why he's distant. Do you think that somehow it is payback for some egregious sin that you still feel guilt and shame over? Do you feel the need to pray more, read the Bible more, serve more, work harder on your behavior, fix your temper, stop swearing, quit being lazy, quit viewing pornography, stop overspending, stop overeating, whatever it is that is your go-to that makes you feel shamed and guilty before God, that makes you pull back. It's as if we think, if I do something to curb and control my sin, it will make things better between me and God. And it, and it will make it so that he will bless me and fix the difficulties of my life. When we begin to think this way, we are falling away from the gospel and turning towards a performance-based relationship with God that we will never be good enough to gain. Thinking this way sounds dumb. We know better. Yet, this way of thinking subtly creeps into our minds and then our hearts, and we begin to live the gospel differently. When I turn back to the law, to a works righteousness, to attempting to manage my sin, to perform better, to gain God's love and acceptance, in reality, I've stopped believing and trusting in the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus did it all, and by faith I receive all that he did for me. But it can't be that way. That's too easy. It's not working for me. When we focus on performing and obeying the law for maintaining this relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, when our performance is that our basis, we only end up sinning more. Have you ever notice that? When you try to be better, you end up being worse. That's what the law was meant to do. In Romans 5 and 20, it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law is meant to show us our sinfulness, to heighten our sinfulness, to make us aware of our need for a redeemer, a rescuer. But through grace, we are no longer under the law, and that breaks sin's dominion over you. Romans 6.14 declares, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Ephesians 2.8 and Galatians 2.16 speak of being saved and justified by faith. What does it mean to be saved by faith and to be justified by faith? Faith that saves, faith that justifies, is about trust, confidence, and dependence on what God says he's done and is doing in us. We cannot combine our performance with grace. That's not faith. It's not trusting. It's one or the other. God's grace or my performance. What's it going to be? It's either all Jesus or none of Jesus and all of you. Becoming convinced that we cannot redeem ourselves, that we cannot commend ourselves to God or do anything to gain his love and acceptance and favor is paramount to how we trust in and live out the gospel. It causes Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, to mean everything to us. We realize he is our very life. We realize he is our freedom, our way home. And finding everlasting love and acceptance is only found in him. And this radically changes us because of the grace of God, 
that's expressed in Jesus, we are changed, completely transformed. What was true about us, we were dead, alienated from God, sinful, an enemy of God, under his wrath, has now changed. We have a new identity. We are redeemed from sin, justified before God, loved and adopted, belonging to him. And now in this life, we get to experience that, to grow in and mature in what is now true about you, what is now true about us and our standing and our relationship with God. This new identity becomes increasingly actual in our experience. As Keller said, we become actually righteous because we are acceptable to God. Sure, we live in this tension and frustration. The reality of how we actually live, sinning, experiencing the pain and the hurt of sin, the difficulty and the struggle of overcoming sin versus not yet fully experiencing the reality of our new identity. It's a tension that we wrestle with. Who I am now in Christ, I'm loved, I'm adopted, I'm righteous, I'm holy. Those are true. And God is masterfully at work growing and maturing us into this new identity. That's what he's making of us. And we experience the gospel of grace in ever-increasing measure when we allow him to do that. We move from a place of being servants who try to obey, who feel compelled to obey, who know we should obey, to a place of wanting, uh, excuse me, we move to a place of wanting to, uh, where we've been caught and arrested by God's love, caught up in his mercy. And then we begin to trust in and understand how he has now been made true about us by the gospel. We are changed and we mature as we trust in this salvation with an ever-increasing depth and confidence in God's grace. Grace changes everything. It changes us. And we begin to spend our lives in joyful, loving relationship with him. And it's expressed in obedience and service that reveals his goodness and brings him glory and honor. This is living life in alignment with the gospel. Rescued and saved by grace alone, through faith alone. This is living the abundant life. For though I died to, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live with in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we actually become holy and righteous, though? How are we sanctified? Paul in Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. So how do you work out your salvation? When we fail, and we will, and miserably at times, we work out our salvation by first owning our sin. That is, confessing it. Then we turn to God. We call out. We admit our need, our bankruptcy, our inability to change, choosing to believe the gospel as the source of change. That's repentance. We receive God's grace and forgiveness. Not always that easy. We feel like we need to earn it. And we trust more deeply in the gospel of grace, confident, hopeful, assured that he has us. And we worship in humbleness. We are grateful and we return love to him because of 
this great gospel. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We read that first part, I have to work out my salvation, and that's where we live. But Paul says, but it's God who's at work. God's actually doing, taking the lead role. He's at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's changing you. He's about to bring him, he's working to bring about your actual righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 2, 8 through, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and not a result of works so that anyone may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. And we live that out by the grace that saves us. Grace changes everything. God saves and adopts us, making us new creations, giving us a new heart to love and obey him. Then comes change in our behavior. It's never the other way around. We don't first change our behavior to get God's love and acceptance. He loves and accepts us, and we begin to change. You are his workmanship. He's renewing you. He's restoring you. He's bringing about your sanctification, lining you and your life with what he's already made true about you in relation to him. Our maturity, our victory over sin comes as we learn to trust in and live out of the truth that Jesus now lives in us. We are new creations. The old has passed away. It's our new identity. Jesus is our hope for change. Paul, in Titus 2, 11 and 12, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace works. It works to mature us, training us to live godly lives, to experience actual righteousness, actual holiness, and the actual ability to really love somebody. We take that first part, though, and we feel like we have to do something. I have to renounce ungodliness. I have to renounce unworldly passions, not seeing that it's grace, grace that trains us, grace that's at work in us. Some days it seems like every word that comes out of my mouth, every thought that runs through my head, every look or image I let in, betrays my heart and my new identity. Some days, the things I don't say, the things I don't do, the looks I don't give, betray my heart and what Jesus would want from me. Like me, on those days, we might feel the need to hide and pretend in front of one another. We might turn back thinking, I need to somehow vindicate myself. I need to prove myself to God. I can be better. I can deserve your love in your presence, I can try to earn it. And so we turn back to old familiar ways. This gospel, this grace, it's amazing. And this all because of the love and the goodness of our God. We've been reconciled to God, no longer needing to earn or perform for his love and acceptance. And now we have the privilege of testifying to this gospel of grace. As Paul says in Acts 20 and 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course 
and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. As I grow older, and as I realize I'm in my latter years, this verse has become increasingly more my personal prayer and desire, that I would finish my course and that I would complete the ministry and testify to the gospel of God's grace. And being reconciled, we now have a ministry of reconciliation. We get to testify of God's love and of his grace and invite others into this amazing story of God who's reconciling a people for himself. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So what does that look like? Ministering grace to others. When we get the privilege to enter into a life that has been snared by sin, or we have a relationship and we find somebody who's bluffing, they're hiding, they're caught back in trying to earn God's love and acceptance or performing for him, we graciously get to remind them of who they now are. They are loved and adopted. We get to remind them of whose they are. They belong to God, their Father, who's full of love, who's rich in grace and mercy. We remind them of what they now are. They're new creations, the old having passed away, all things becoming new. And we get to remind them of who now lives in them, Christ Jesus and this, all by the grace of God. If we do this for one another, we'll begin to see the freedom that comes by grace grow in us and mature us into what God designed and created us for, to have relationship with him, experiencing the joy of his love, and then to experience the joy of giving love back to him and to those he puts into our world. This is why we come to communion every week, remember who we are without Jesus, to remember what it is Jesus has done for us. We take the cracker and we break it like Christ's body was broken for us. We dip it into the wine or the grape juice, remembering that Jesus' blood was shed for us and that our sin was paid for. We're going to sing some more songs now, reflect upon what God has done for us. There'll be some deacons or elders in the back. They'd love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to get off this crazy train of working for God's love and acceptance. Maybe you'd like to settle the fact that he loves and accepts you just how you are, that he's committed to changing you, to making you righteous and holy, as is already true about you. Maybe you'd like to understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith. They'd love to pray with you about that and explain that to you. There are offering boxes on the sides and in the back. We give voluntarily in response to our God's goodness and generosity towards us. This morning is supposed to be our cookie exchange. Hopefully you brought cookies. Aaron's going to be back. He'll be looking. So there should be some milk and cookies in back. You can snack, share, take the sermon notes, maybe talk to one another about the questions. Uh, maybe later this week you meet up with somebody and discuss some of these questions and, and, and consider what it is God has done for you, what the gospel really is, how Jesus has, has thoroughly saved and rescued us.
and how we can grow deeper in that trust. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of your goodness and the provision of grace to rescue us from our sin, rebellion, delivering us, restoring us in relationship with you, that we might experience your love and acceptance, a love and acceptance that heals and changes us. You've rescued us from the insanity of our past, from our continued sinfulness today, and you will rescue us from the sin yet that we will. We remain totally dependent upon your grace and mercy to heal us, to change us, to enlighten our understanding that we might begin to trust you more deeply. God, I pray that we would throw all our weight into you, trust you, that you don't leave us or forsake us, trust you, that you promised to make us free from sin, to make us holy and righteous. It may take us, it will take us all our life, God, but it's your promise to us, it's your commitment to us. Lord, help us to rely, to trust on, not to rest in our own works and performance, but fully in you. Lord, help us to learn to live by grace and in such a way that we can share grace to those who are struggling and snared by sin, to those who are bluffing through this life and trying to earn their way back to you. Help us to remind each other whose we are, who we are. Lord, help us to have our conversation be that that we can speak of the gospel of grace, that we can be those who would reconcile because of grace. We get to share how we've been changed with those who don't understand. Father, we're amazed that you would accept us, that you would approve of us. We know what we're like, and yet you love us. Lord, we're eternally grateful, and we give you our love and our thanks. In Jesus' name.